Close your eyes, leave all your troubles behind. Yes, it's fine. Come kick it with me in my imagination. In my imagination. Well, sometimes my mind. Right, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Run, Repeat, the running podcast for the average runner. Uh, just myself, Wooly, and Steve Sparling in session. Hey, mate. But we've got a very special guest, a real uh, runner from the golden era of Australian female running, Krishna Stanton. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much to the two Steves. I'm <laughs> looking forward to having a chat. Yeah, looking forward to this one. Um, the list of achievements, is there's just far too many to mention, but, you know, we're talking World Cross Country, Olympics, Com Games, on and on and on and on and on. But um, we'll get into that. Yeah, yeah, loads, like multiple Australian champion on the track. We can uh, we can talk about all that stuff now. But I mean, we always like to sort of start at the start. So, um, how did you really get into running? It is a bit of a funny story. I come from a small country town in New South Wales called Leeton, rice growing area. And not much to do except sport in the town. My parents were um, big into tennis and my mum had always been a swimmer. And I grew up with a swimming pool mum and dad built in the backyard of our uh, at the farm where we lived. And mum taught swimming lessons for 11 years. So we were naturally, uh, my sister and I, guided into swimming. The only thing was in winter, it was uh, no heated pool. So it wasn't very enjoyable and we used to be driven over to Griffith to an indoor pool in the winter and I did enjoy that. I think it really helped build my um, heart and lung capacity but I was never going to be really, really good at it and so we were encouraged to try everything from netball to I did try dancing very unsuccessfully and then my sister who's quite small asked if she could go to Little Athletics because she thought it was for little people and so naturally I tagged along and I tripped over the hurdles was last in the sprint and I had the 800 meters so I was 10 and after one lap everyone got really tired and I ended up being able to keep on going and won the race and thought right from that day that maybe I'd found something I could be good at and my parents started getting involved in little athletics, um, being the marshal, the uh, announcer, and so that was what our weekends were spent doing. Sorry, did you say that your sister thought that it was for little people because it was called little athletics? Yes, she did. So she's very tiny, and my dad's side of the family is really short, and that was her reasoning for trying to get mum and dad because they had enough on their plate. But couldn't we give it a go? Because because I think um, she was, you know, only seven at the time, but she just thought there might be more people her size. She was a gymnast at the time, so we were you're, country and very naive. You're quite tall, though, aren't you? Like from the pictures I've seen, you're taller than most yes. of the other athletes. I see a lot of you hugging people, and you're usually the taller one of the two in general. So how tall are you? Uh, one seventy-two. Yeah. Okay. So my mum's side of the family are. Uh, I have the nickname of being the praying, praying mantis uh, a build, very tall and um, naturally thin and 
my dad's like five foot nothing. Very yeah. So yeah. yeah. So I I got the the genetics of the tall lanky side of the family, which has been really good for running. I have to admit. Yeah, you were. You obviously had some natural ability there for the distance running. Yeah, I think that I almost found. Um, it sounds a bit corny, but I just found something that I not only love to do, but seemed to get better at the more effort I put into it. And my mum and dad couldn't necessarily afford it at times, but they saw that um, I was committed. And they, you know, up until I left home, they would uh, drive me to Sydney numerous weekends in a row to compete at in nationals and state level. So I would have the experience of different competitions. And, yeah, it wasn't until I got, um, you know, was older that I did I realise I'm not sure where they found the money. They just did what they needed to do. And now I feel with you know, how I've kept on running has given them a lot of enjoyment back and, and made it really worthwhile, I think. I mean, when you're making them rep teams, you've you pretty much got to fly to the championship events. It's You've got to fund it yourself, haven't you? Yes. Well, I do remember uh, one weekend it was the New South Wales State Championships and they had it over two weekends and Dad drove me down. Uh, it was probably eight or nine hours from Leeton back oh. in the day and we got to the um, uh, heats, warming up, the officials called everyone in and there weren't enough people to have the heats that day. So they decided that they were going to run the final, but not that day, the next weekend when it was scheduled. So we drove home, you know, not having even competed. And I remember Dad driving me back the next weekend and I said, I don't think I'm necessarily the best in the field, but Dad, I think I'm I'm really going to give this one a, a, a good shot for you. And I did end up winning it, but I think it was more just to prove that, you know, the country kids, you know, you can't deter us. We're just going to, you know, show up, you know, again and again. And and I think that that sort of upbringing um, instilled in me a determination and I don't think you can necessarily work out why some people are more determined than others, but it's something that's held me in good stead. So I'm back at school, so you started a little athletics at 10, you said? Yes. Um, when did you get serious? Did you sort of fall into the the school category of cross country first, then track, or how did how did you get involved in all that? Yes, well, I it was through cross cross country, and I pursued that and went to numerous school competitions. And I remember probably about fifteen, and I've been in contact with this PE teacher since. I just, it wasn't cool. I think we talked about that before we started talking. It wasn't really cool to be a teenage girl and a runner. And I went to a, a Catholic uh, school that was a boarding school for boys as well. And we used to train for the cross country and, you know, people used to call out derogatory things. And so I decided that when it came to the cross country trials that I was just going to be like my friends and walk and walk, jog and just have fun. Anyway, he called me into his office after that run and said, I'll see you at the back gate tomorrow and I'm going to put the clock on you and you're going to actually run that um, same course. Yeah. And he said, never, ever do that again and be proud of 
the talent that you have and don't let other people who might want who might judge you change your behavior and I think ever since that day I decided that I was obviously given a talent or born with a talent that I might as well use it so yeah from school 15 I remember seeing a show current affair type show on the AIS in Canberra and how they that had started and it was offering athletes the potential for scholarships in all different sports and that's I guess where my dream really began I thought wow wouldn't it be great to be able to go I always wanted to be a teacher I thought I could study in Canberra if I was good enough I might get a scholarship and then maybe one day I'd go to an Olympic Games so about 15 or 16 that's when that really the dream sort of became something that I thought about a lot and you ended up getting a scholarship to the AIS is that right Yes, not straight away. So I moved to Canberra. I worked, I deferred my studies and worked for two years in the Commonwealth Bank, which I hated. And in those two years, you know, I often say I grew up a lot. I trained hard and I managed to win the 1500 metres and the 3000 metres at the national championships at the end of those two years in 1986. And yes, was offered a scholarship at the AIS and then started my teaching studies. So it, it was a um, not an easy journey because when I first applied, I wasn't accepted. So I knew I had to do more or prove myself in, in other ways and, and at other competitions. But it really taught me the a, a good work ethic and that out of, you know, nothing, you know, worthwhile comes without, you know, the hard work. So I know we're talking pre um, GPS watches, but at that point, like how many k's a week do you reckon you were running to to run on the track? Like not massive volume, just lots of speed. Very little. When I first moved to Canberra, um, I had a coach who was ahead of his time before I went to the AIS. Name was Ed Helgeby, and he only had us, I ran with a group of girls who were eight 1,500-metre runners and a few 400-metre runners. And so we focused on or he focused our training on always running on the grass or dirt paths in Canberra and very low mileage but quality over quantity. That really did suit me and I think especially as I was quite slight and growing that I didn't really have any injuries in those couple of years and it was only when I did go to the AIS, and it's no one's fault in particular, but obviously I'm one of a few females with a bunch of guys, and they've all been training twice a day. So all of a sudden I, you know, upped my training, didn't know then that I had celiac disease. You know, it it, it just was the quantity was uh, not something that I was used to when I, I started getting injuries. How, how important was the celiac's um, issue with your stress fractures as such? I know you shouldn't say if only I knew, but looking back now and talking to the specialists that I've had to deal with, that the celiac disease causes stress fractures. I didn't absorb calcium. I was always getting iron injections. But back in that those days, 86, 87, it just wasn't a known thing. No one really understood it. Uh, I was just, people used to tell me to eat more, so I'd eat more gluten and I'd just always feel unwell. 
but I just, I, I guess it, it is a fact that I'm not sure how I ran as well as I did knowing knowing now what I know my body was going through. Yeah. So when you went to the AIS, you said there wasn't many female runners there. Like what, what other female runners were there at the time? At the time on scholarship, there was uh, Penny Just, a 1,500-metre runner, uh, a, a young girl, uh, Michelle O'Rourke, uh, a very good 800-metre runner, but they were more... Uh, on scholarship was Jane Fleming, you know, a lot of um, heptathletes, sprinters, yep. and the distance squad at that time was the coach was Pat Cohesi, and the the squad revolved around Rob DiCostella. So he'd moved to Canberra. So it was um, more a male-dominated squad, and Pat hadn't really coached many females before. So uh, I had friends... Um, that I've made to this day, Annie Lord. She was at the time the best Australian 3,000-metre runner, so I, I looked up to her. She wasn't on scholarship, but I did a lot of training, my training with her, but she was older. So I, I often used to train probably above what my, uh, consistently what I should have been doing rather than having easy runs. I was trying to keep up with the guys, and it did produce good results. You know, my first year on scholarship, Definitely. 1987, I came fourth in the world indoors with a time of 8.48, which, you know, surprised, I surprised myself. Yeah. And supposedly first time running indoors on a 200-metre bank track was crazy. And people said, oh, outdoors is much faster, but I didn't get the opportunity to run it uh, 3,000 metres outdoors at that time when I was so fit. but at that time, I I honestly thought, oh, I have the potential to possibly be one of the best. I came fourth in the world and three of those um, distance runners ahead of me down the track in the next couple of years were banned for drug use. So if they had that drug testing back then that they have now, who knows? Might, might have had a middle. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, we talk about this a little bit on the podcast, but like, what's your opinion? Oh, like, I don't, I hate to be negative because I consider myself like not a hater. But <laughs> every time I see a world record go by like 20, 30, 40 seconds, how do you feel about that? Do you, I just feel like at the moment there's like cheating going on that the testing's just not up to date with? It's really difficult. To, to watch and I will, I'll just say without being controversial it can't be just the shoes yeah and someone many years ago said to me that every time they bring out a new drug they bring out a new masking agent so I uh, you know we we all want to believe that it's possible and there's these amazingly talented people but you know the likes of Rob DiCostello and Steve Monaghetti and you know those type of marathon runners or many of the distance runners that were at the AIS when I was there, you know, that they were so talented, no super shoes and things like that. And it's only now that our Australia, our drug testing is next level, but it's only now the Australian men are starting to beat those times or, you know, produce the times that they produced way back then. So I, I think some countries drug testing might not be so good it's just like there's 
the like top top guys are all here. Yeah. That like the level doesn't really change, and then all of a sudden there's just a massive breakthrough, and it's not like one second or two seconds. It's like thirty seconds, and exactly, it's like you're training when you're training to get a five k or a three k PB. The increments get smaller and smaller and smaller yes. to the point where you're only beating your old margin by one or two seconds or half a second even over that distance, and then someone will come out and break a ten k female road record. Yeah. 28 seconds and you think they didn't just beat it by one or two seconds it's now almost half a minute you know yeah. so that's that's where we're at that's what we've been talking about consistently anyway yeah it is it's it is a bit crazy and and I guess I would just say a bit sad really because we don't no one can really have the answers we can only speculate because it does seem so unbelievable yeah I, I do think Australian women's marathon running is legitimate those women are like it it's absolutely pushing each other to actually just believe we're capable in this country of being as good as you know other marathon runners but that you know the world record now is for the women and you know and the men is just seems untouchable but you know our amazingly talented marathon runners can, can I ask you a question about shoes in general? Um, we had a bit of a discussion before you come on. We we're trying to work out what sort of um, what brand you would have been wearing in high school and then at the AIS that sort of era. Do you remember what brand of shoes? I do, I do because my dad bought me these. Um, I think it's K two twenty sixes. I don't know whether you're too young to remember oh, that. K two twenty sixes, mate. Yeah, because all the school teachers said, used to wear them. Oh, <laughs> he said to me that my legs were so thin, and like he wanted me to have as much cushioning as possible. Yeah. And honestly, they felt like I just had these big concrete blocks on the bottom of my feet. But he spent a lot of money on them and bought them for me at the time but I was lucky enough when I went to Canberra to get my first sponsorship was with Adidas so I wore Adidas and then um, from there predominantly wore Nike for a long time. Yeah so, so over, over that time then you would have um, felt the difference in the cushioning um, which is also helps with the recovery so these days so obviously recovery times of changed with the performance shoes coming in um, and the technology obviously helps you go a little bit quicker but it's more so the recovery time is is reduced quite effectively as well how how much difference do you think say 30 years ago that would have been to get them on your feet right there and then would that made have made a difference with your stress fractures etc or do you think any sort of recovery time that contributed to that i think it would have helped definitely So just recently, since um, October last year, after the London Marathon, I've been sponsored by Hoka, or I'm a Hoka ambassador, and that's the first time that I have used the super shoes with carbon plates. Yeah. And I do remember speaking to Steve Monaghetti, who's a, a friend and has been very helpful in helping mentor and coach me still. Um, he said that he didn't believe in them as much. He didn't really believe in them and then noticed the recovery time, just like you're talking about, and I would say exactly the same. I'm a toe runner, so I don't think I get as much benefit out of them in a race um, as some people might, but the recovery afterwards um, 
yeah, fantastic. It does make a difference. And I didn't realise at the time when I was at the AAS that I should be, I had access to massage. It took, you know, ages for me to realise I should be getting a massage every week or every couple of weeks for recovery. So if I'd have had shoes that were um, more cushioned, I'm sure it would have benefited me. And straight after track, all you had to do is jump back into your Dunlop KT26s just to recover properly, I imagine. Well, wearing those um, were back in the day, we had a grass track that we used to have a bindi drive, um, <laughs> you know, during the summer with so that we could wear bare feet. So I have a photo of me at the first state championships I went to in Sydney at, on the Tartan track and I was in bare feet. So I don't think I had... I didn't couldn't wear the training shoes, so bare feet was the best option. But um, yeah. yeah, I just think mum and dad couldn't afford them at the time. And then you know, so it was a bonus when I did, you know, get my first pair. Talking about um, bare feet, Matt, you got me thinking of Zola Bud. Did you ever race against Zola Bud? I did. Yes, a couple of times. Um, a, a race I fondly remember. It was in Sydney actually, and it was called the the uh, I don't I think it was the Coke. It was a street mile. Um, it, it started um, at the top of whatever street runs down to past a, a big hotel down to the quay. And Mary Decker or Mary Slaney was her name. Zola Bud and myself and a lot of other um, female distance runners. Oh, and they had a men's race as well. They had Steve Pram. So they spent a lot of money promoting it. And, um, yeah, I came uh, third in that race. Mary won, Zola second, and then myself third. And then I raced against her in some World Cross Countries and at a, a great race that everyone went to after World Cross Country called the Cinque Malini. And it was it's it, you run through people's houses. Um, it's in Italy, and they the people open their houses from. It's called Seven Seven Farms. That's what it means. It, and um, yeah, and I actually beat Zola in that in that race. Um, yeah. Did she wear shoes on the road race? Uh, I didn't race. Oh, yes, she did. Yes, in the street oh. mile, she did. But cross country, no. And yeah, bare feet and taped, but it didn't even look like special tape. It looked like you know masking tape, type. Yeah, she was. Yeah, strapping tape or something. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Strapping tape is it or? Yeah, it would have been just to yeah round the balls of her feet. Yeah, not many people know of Zola, and you know I've watched uh, over and over the race between Mary Slaney and Zola Bud at the Olympics where. Zola supposedly tripped her up and they had a big argument, but they're friends now. So if yeah. anyone wants to look up that race, it's, it's good to watch. No, I've got a question for you now. I'm about changing distances. So at some stage you had a little bit of time out, I think, with, with the, some sort of injury, and then all of a sudden you show up at the City to Surf um, and pick, a, pick out a second place in 1991, and then the next, the following year take out the win. Um, when did you change from like your 3,000 metres and venture into the longer runs? To be honest, I wished I'd ventured out earlier. Yeah. Um, now that I've run a few marathons, I really think that I probably didn't find my distance till later in life. And people used to think or 
give me advice that I would get injured if I did the longer races. And the City to Surf in 1992 was almost an accidental race. I'd been to Barcelona for the Olympics and I'd had an incident where I couldn't, they think it was a spider bite, but I couldn't walk on my foot uh, 10, 10 days out from the race. I didn't run as well as I um, had shown the form to run and came back to Australia really disappointed after that um, Olympics, thinking, you know, this is where you meant to perform. And we were in Sydney for the weekend and it was the Sydney Surf Weekend and I entered the day before yeah. and lined up. It's, a, it's hard to get to the front of the line, but one of my friends, Jenny Lund, was on the start line. So I sort of just, you know, snuck in to stand beside her. And I think my number was like 8,600 and, you know, 64 or something like that because I'd entered so late. So I wasn't on the list of athletes, you know, elite athletes running and obviously won the race. But then someone had reported a similar number as cheating coming in from a side street, which apparently some people do. So um, I won the race, was really happy with my run and, it made me realise I was really fit and loved that distance, loved the challenge of the hills and just, I guess, feeling more free on the roads. I think that's why I like running those longer distances. But they wouldn't award the uh, prize until they'd done some investigating and talked to all the people I was standing with on the starting line to make sure I started right from the beginning. We were talking about this before um, we, we started recording, but... I saw that Steve Monaghetti won $50,000 for winning the city to surf. Like was the women's prize money similar to that or was it a um, lot less? No, it was <laughs> not. Um, that year I'm fairly sure Lisa on got $25,000 appearance money. Don't quote me on that. That's just what I, uh, and she didn't finish the race. And I won an Alyssi men's watch. Yeah. Really? We yeah. were saying off air that like $50,000 back then, you probably could have bought a block of land somewhere. Yeah. It's like a proper year wage. Yeah. And maybe a lot of it was people who had agents and got appearance money for, you know, their athletes and things. But, and there used to be um, a, a race that would, you know, you'd win an air ticket to go to, but the year that I won, no, I didn't. I didn't win anything except I. I actually have a gold record. That's what I got. It's in a frame, um, saying that I won the city to serve. And the watch was, I think, tennis. Is Alice is like a tennis brand, but it was really big and mm. yeah, it was for a man. Yeah, it's interesting because back in the back in the like, oh. I grew up in the UK and running was massive. Like it was actually like kind of a cool sport. And when yeah. I remember when I come to Australia, definitely was not a cool sport. Like <laughs> saying to you off, off air, I used to go running. This is like sort of 1991, 92. I used to run around where I live now. I used to get things thrown at me, <laughs> but um, the prize money seemed to be way better back then. And like today running is hugely popular. And the it prize is. money is like, you know, they're lucky to get five grand if they win a, you know, a big event. And yeah, what's your thoughts on that? Like, 
Well, there were a few races back in the day. Um, there was a, I remember, I'm not sure who sponsored it, it was a trucking company in Melbourne and it was a $10,000 prize, 10K road race, $10,000 prize money and the use of a Mazda MX-6 for a year. I came second by a couple of seconds. I didn't get to drive that car. I had to keep the Datsun Stanza. But there were a couple of races like the Bernie 10 that offered good prize money. But I think it's just, it does not seem that, not so much as the value, there's just not the sponsorship out there for yeah. the events. And yeah, to throw, to throw twenty five thousand dollar at Lee Sundiki in nineteen ninety two just as an appearance, um, that's not even a win total. Like she got that just for appearing seems a bit strange. But it was either ninety one or ninety two. One of those she got that yeah. as appearance money. I was told. Yeah. Yeah, but that was obviously you know an agent working for her. I didn't have an agent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it 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 was a. Well, a highlight for me because I was so disappointed with how I ran in Barcelona that it, it proved to me that, you know, your talent doesn't just go away. You know, you just have, like with everyone, you know, yeah. listening to this, you have good training days, bad training days, good races, bad races, and sometimes there's not necessarily any answer. But it's, you know, I guess those times when everything does go right and comes together that, you know, hold you hold dear, I guess. Yeah. So you finally um found your distance and you love it. Um, you disappeared off the scene for a bit there. So what's happened in your life that's caused that? You sort of disappeared from running for a little while. Yeah, running was almost taken away from me with um, you know, not my choice. So in two thousand and five, or after the Commonwealth Games in Manchester. Yeah. Karen McCann and I on the we came back early because we both had little little boys. Yeah. We came back on the plane together, made a pact that we were going to try and make the Melbourne uh, Commonwealth Games together and retire after that. And I just thought, wow, I'm motivated. I'm in. And 2005, I got really sick um, after having food poisoning. They weren't sure what it was. Thought possibly um, bowel cancer. And it ended up, I ended up being diagnosed with celiac disease and had to have five lots of bowel surgery um, because of it. Um, and the surgeon to this day is not happy that I can run now, but said, you know, this is not good for you uh, with everything that's your body's gone through that I don't recommend that you run again. And so I, I always, you know, I would walk or do what I could physically and what instigated my, you know, trial at coming back to running was Karen passed away from breast cancer and Jackie. So we came first, second and third at those Manchester Commonwealth Games. And just to go back a bit, we'd been friends since we were 14. We'd all run together at, you know, state championships, national championships. So it was just uh, amazing that we were all, as older women, picked to represent Australia. So Jackie passed away. Um, unfortunately, she took her own life after um, a long battle with a mental illness and Karen breast cancer. So I decided that 
I wanted to do something to as a tribute to them. And if I thought I could run, I would. So on January the 1st, 2016, so 10 years after I wasn't really able to run anymore, I ran the 3K and entered the Gold Coast Marathon in July and with a goal to run under three hours. And I ended up making some great friends in a group of guys that we were called the Lucky Ducks. I was privileged to be um, accepted into the group after a bit of to and froing to see whether I was eligible. Uh, they weren't too keen on uh, women joining their group, but the, yeah, the guys I still try and catch up with to this day, but they helped me train and get back to a level of fitness. And I ran in 2016, two hours, 59, oh, 47 or something like that. So that was just like fantastic. I knew I wasn't going to do a PB or anything like that, but it made me realize that, you know, you can overcome obstacles and be un very unpopular with your surgeon and it's still, you know, great. Sorry to um, jump around in like timelines and stuff, but can we talk about the Com Games Marathon where you come second? Yes. Yeah. What, what do you remember of... about the the build up to that and um, and the actual race itself? Um, I remember that everyone said I couldn't do it. Not everyone, but a lot of people. I'd run the Sydney Marathon in two thousand and one, and surprised myself and others. I just trained alongside a good friend of mine who lived in Newcastle. When I say alongside, we both decided we were going to do the Sydney Marathon. She'd been at the AIS with me for many years and is one of my best friends to this day. Kerith Duncanson said to me, everyone should run a marathon before they retire. So let's do the Sydney Marathon together. She had twins 18 months before. So we set out on, you know, training her in Newcastle, me in Brisbane. And I was determined to not so much prove people wrong, but to actually prove to myself that if I listened to my body and I did some training that uh, I'd take advice from people, I'd read a few articles um, and that, you know, in 16 weeks I might be able to run a marathon and to run 238 in the Sydney Marathon over a hilly course in my first ever marathon made me realise that, you know, as I said before, that I was my engine and my body type was more suited to not so much intense track work where I would get injured, but to, you know, more long, slow, steady miles. And so from that, the end of that race, I remember a journalist tell me, saying to me, oh, you qualified for the Commonwealth Games, which I had no idea what the time was. It was 2.40. I said, oh, they won't pick me. I'm too old. How, sorry, how old was you at this point? 35. Yeah. Yeah. So young, but you're thinking it's old. Yeah. Well, I also, I had tried to make the Sydney Olympics over the 10,000 metres and you had to come first, second or third in the trials. I'd had a stress fracture 12 weeks before, but I made the trials after some crazy training, um, cross training. I came third. It was going to be in Australia. 
instead of running qualifying was 32.30, I ran 32.44. And I thought they might pick me. It's like in Australia, they don't have to pay for us to travel yeah. and they didn't. So I just had no real faith in selection. And so I just thought, oh, they didn't pick me then. They won't pick me now. And, yeah, they did. And Karen, Jackie and I headed off to the Commonwealth Games. I roomed with Karen. She'd run 19 marathons, I think, at that time. So she was the expert. So we roomed together and uh, she'd be laughing at this, but I, when she ate, I ate. I didn't know I was a celiac then, where she did my drink bottles for the race. Uh, I just copied everything she did and, yeah, managed to come second, way behind her, but it was that race I was determined to get to the starting line uninjured and well, and then I felt like the rest was up to me mind-wise. I'd done as much. I trained only once a day up to it. I had a day off every week. I didn't, I probably, most I did was 120 kilometres a week. So not the mileage that she was running, but I just had faith that if I could be uninjured, anything might be possible. And, yeah, was really lucky that it was my day and I ran four, out, four minutes quicker than I did in Sydney the year before with 2.34 and coming into that stadium and, I still um, have a video of the finish where I ran into Karen's arms and she, I said, you're amazing. And she goes, no, no. She said, I'm more happier for you than me because I know what you've been through. So, yeah, it was a, a fantastic um, experience. And I was, I, 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 people say, oh, I coach myself, but I have lots of good people around me that I've, um, you know, offered me advice and things. But basically all that training was done on my own, carrying a Walkman, talk about the olden days, a Walkman, listening to music, no GPS watch. Um, I just, once a month, I ran for three hours. I had did my training in four-week blocks. And I remember a friend who was a triathlete riding the course that I said I ran on that Sunday. And she said, you ran that marathon. That's a marathon that you ran like in three hours. So I knew that I was capable of better than that. Wow. So yeah, it was a it was a good experience. And yeah, I I guess with my history, I don't blame people saying how could you run a marathon? But I that track work in spikes and tartan and intensity doesn't suit everyone. You mentioned um Pat Clohesse earlier on. We've had uh um, Aiden Hobbs was is a well. I I don't think Pat's he's not very well, so he's not doing much coaching. But he's been coached by Pat Clohesse. We had Peter Noel on, he's, yep. he's an old friend of mine. He's coached by Pat Clohesse. Everyone in sort of running knows Pat and has nothing but good things to say about him. So was he coaching you at some? Yes, point? yep, from the AOS. And actually, I just visited Pat and his wife and um, daughter Maria uh, just recently at Christmas time. So I still try and go and visit Pat. Unfortunately, he's suffering dementia, but uh, that man gave more to running than anyone in, I, I know. Um, 
he's yeah he was a mentor to so many and yeah he was a coach of mine for many years real legend eh? he's a he's a a great man and um I think everyone would say one of the most kindest positive you know men you could know and he you know always aired on the side of caution and yeah, he just cared a lot. I, I think I was very difficult for him to coach, but not so much because of my temperament, because of my injuries. And so I know, you know, I, I actually said to someone once, I'm not sure who'd want to coach me because I'd find it really depressing because I'd get so fit and start running so well and then something would go wrong. So, yeah, it was it was not that I didn't do what I was necessarily told. My body just wasn't up to what I was trying to ask of it. If only you knew. If only you had Google back then, you probably could have diagnosed. Yeah. And and I had, you know, one of the most unfortunate uh, injuries I had was um, I thought I'd sprained my ankle on one run. And so I went to the physio straight after the run at the AIS and they taped my ankle. And the next day it was okay to run on. But that injury ended up being a stress fracture of my navicular bone. And it, actually fractured right through and that was just before um 88 before the 88 olympics and so every time they would wean my my the taping off the pain would come back so had the scan found out what i had and that took um two bone grafts because they put the bone graft in the wrong place the first time and i didn't run from um yeah 19 90 to 92 really before those yeah 89 to 91 so spend it 12 months out of two years in plaster and on crutches so yeah I really do value when the run goes right that's for sure because there's been lots of times you know things have happened that unfortunate and out of my control I um since Steve told me that you're going to be on I googled you quite a bit and, and watched a few little videos, one that he forwarded me and I found a, a few other ones of races in general and the commentators um, class you as a fast finisher. Do you reckon they, do you think you're a fast finisher in your events? I, I think that my track background, Yeah, uh, I was considered someone that um, if I was just behind you, then, you know, I could finish fast. I'm not sure that's the case these days in the marathon I, I tend to be able to run at one speed but I, I am very competitive but not at many things so it I doesn't matter you know usually sometimes people's personalities are competitive at everything where it's um and it was the same with Karen actually she's such a placid lovely kind person and then you put her on the starting line and it's like watch out so I'm a bit the same. I, you know, I have lots of friends that I compete with and against, and I think distance runners is off. Distance running is often so much about the distance, not your competitors, not like sprinting. And yeah, I I just think that I'm my nature on a starting line is just very different. And if I have a chance to, sometimes to my own detriment. Actually, if I have this is someone in front of me close, even though they might be 20 years younger, um, one of my running buddies, if he's listening, he'll go, yes, I told you not to try and catch that girl. Uh, she's 20 years younger than you and I actually tripped and strained my hamstring. So that was his 
<laughs> reasoning is because you shouldn't have tried to catch it. What shoes are you wearing now? Uh, I still, as of today, my Poker Ambassador um, sponsorship or, or um, contract is up. So um, I'm, I've been really, um, really loved running in Hokers. They're, they've really come a long way and their racing flats are one of the favourite uh, racing shoes I've raced in. And, yeah, I can, I can vouch for uh, there's lots of different types um, and and styles, but uh, I'm really yeah an advocate for um, everyone giving them a go. Everyone who wears them loves them. As yeah. a as a hoker ambassador, are you allowed to give away any secrets? Um, something come about this week on Instagram as a hoker ad. It's not much to it. It's probably goes for about eight or nine seconds, and it has a guy carrying a pair of shoes strung over his shoulder by the laces. Right. And the shoe, the shoes blotted out, and all it says is something very fast is coming. Any any ideas? Uh, no, but I'm going to try and find out, and I'll I'll make sure that you might be able to add something in to the notes if you do that. I've afforded it to a few of my mates that they seem to wear hokers a lot. Um, I think right from the very beginning, hokers has a generous foot room, so a lot of people I know that have wide feet tend to run with hokers. I don't know why. Yeah. But um, yeah, they I forwarded it on there, and they, this this looks interesting, like very interesting for them. So, yeah, I think it'll be a, a new racing shoe, um, yeah. carbon plate. They're yeah. they're really spending money on on the research, yeah. and the the one that I I actually raced um, the half marathon in Sydney in September, and ran much faster than I thought I would, and I was trialing the new carbon plate racing shoe and yeah. I honestly felt like and I did recover really well but I think it had it just had pop to it and I um yeah it felt really good to run in poker are listening and they want to uh continue my Conti ambassadorship sign you up with another contract <laughs> sorry I want to talk about the um the world record but just for my own curiosity like and for others listening who are never going to get a sponsorship but when you like jumping back again, you said you're sponsored by Adidas. I always wonder, like, when you're sponsored by Adidas, do you go to a shop and they they've got stuff there for you, or do you go to the warehouse, or do they just send it to you? Like, how's it work? Well, back in that day, um, the Adidas, um, his I know his name is Bob Lay, and it was through Pat Clohesse. So we were down in Melbourne for a Melbourne track meet. And Pat personally took me to the Adidas factory to meet Bob Lay and talk about, you know, some races I'd done and what hopes he had for me. And then they did take me into a room where they had all samples hanging up and, you know, I got measured up for my shoe size and things like that. And honestly, all I could think about was like I was like this little this young girl from country New South Wales who was like it was Christmas, you know, no more K226s and, you know, I had a spike bag that my grandmother had made me, you know, everyone had those splash, you know, Nike Adidas ones. I I really honestly didn't take anything for granted but it was, it was great. And I didn't, I failed to mention that for the Commonwealth Games in Manchester, I... Uh, was sponsored by Feeler, 
And yeah. at the time, uh, Emma Carney, a world champion triathlete, her dad was the head of Feeler, and I knew them well because he used to be with Nike. And um, I would just go and visit them and it would just be like pick what you want. Um, yeah, like a, they have a shop and you get what you want or what you need. But I was always quite self-conscious about not being greedy. <laughs> But I ran but, in feel after the Commonwealth Games. Oh, uh, yeah. So me and Steve had a guess. I think he guessed feel. He said a lot of people were running feel back then. Hey, yeah. with the Adidas, does that mean, say, they take you into a room and they got prototypes of everything or just different bits they put together and make you a more personalised shoe, is it? Is that how that worked? No, no, not back then. They were. No. It was more just the standard. Yeah. yeah. It was like, this is available. Check what size you are. Okay. You have training flats, rate, um, you know, road shoes and spikes and... Yeah. And then when those did wear out, what you do is you usually say with Hoka, you would nowadays, that is more a, they send you a racing kit. Um, so it's, it's I'm not fully sponsored. I'm obviously an ambassador, but they have given me all the gear I need to promote Hoka, but they would send me, you know, a couple of singlets, pairs of shorts, you know, and when new shoes come out, they would, you know, send them in my size. They have a record of it. Um, and things like that but I guess nowadays I'm a lot of the young people are really good at social media and Instagram and things like that there is a requirement that you are promoting it on those social media sites have to lift my game that but yeah sorry I've um I'll put this on the Instagram page but just for I don't know if you can see that because of the light but that's a KT26 yeah yeah Mine were red and, yeah, the the red and blue. Just for the record, I started work in 1996 and they were my work shoes. <laughs> <laughs> they had awesome grip. They're, Dunlop, they're like a Dunlop volley sole on them, so they had really awesome grip on wet floors, any sort of flooring. And oh, I worked in a bakery, so, um, yeah, yeah, at times yeah. you could have, like, slippery surface or dry surface. It didn't matter. They had heaps of grip. Yeah, the rubber didn't ru- uh, wear out like the rubber does these days. <laughs> no, the shoe would fall apart and the rubber would still be there. So. <laughs> it's interesting that you say you're sponsored by Fila because Nathan, who's usually on the podcast, his older brother in the UK was an elite athlete and he was sponsored by Fila. And we always used to get his like, you know, and he, once he'd worn a pair of shoes a few times, he'd chuck them out and we would, we would so there was a while there where we were all wearing Fila. But they were like quite big in running it at that point. Yeah, they were. They were really trying to break into um, the market, and then all of a sudden disappeared. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't even think they do run in shoes anymore. No, I don't think so either. I did lose every single toenail in that marathon. So, not saying it's the shoes. I probably didn't have the right size. Now that I wear hokers, I realise I need half a size bigger. In, in the last few years, they've made a real sort of comeback, but I think it's more tennis now. Um, at, at the shops, you could go buy feel of clothing and then all of a sudden everyone's wearing again. And then now they're showing up on the on the main tennis tours on TV. So the athletes are wearing feeler. I know the men's doubles were sponsored by them, our two guys that won, I think. But, yeah, I haven't seen it in running. I haven't seen any running no. feeler, anything. And when you said feeler earlier, Steve, I thought, what? Yeah. Um, but obviously it was a big back then. So, but yeah, they sort of disappeared, didn't they? Yep, two thousand and two. That was yeah. 
Mm. Oh, okay. They used to sponsor the Noosa Triathlon. That's They were trying to get into that as well. But I think that's probably because um, Emma's dad and she was a triathlete, that was probably where they were focused, why they were focusing on that as well. When you first, at the start, you said about you were doing quite a lot of swimming. I'm surprised you didn't get into triathlon. Well, I did actually try it. Um, I'm just trying to think what year. So 1990, I felt like I'd had enough of um, trying to, you know, just the injuries. It just got too much and too, I think I described it as the, the light inside me just got dimmer and dimmer every time something went wrong. And it really did always seem that I just would get really, really fit and there would be a race and then, oh, sore leg, toe, you know, something like that. And so I did have a go at triathlons and I actually, I think it was called the Cadbury Sprint Series and I competed against Emma Carney and Jackie Gallagher. And I, my problem was that I was hopeless on the bike so I would just have to run. I could swim. I would yep. get out of the water, you know, with the top girls. And then I'd spend forever trying to put on my shoes and then, you know, get on the bike, whereas they were jumping on the bikes, their pet shoes on the pedals and things like that. So I wore, it was a bit of a circus trying to watch me in the transition. So I And then I hated, like, I don't know, I was just very cautious on the bike. And I was great on a wind trainer, but not on the roads. And then I just used to have to run everyone down. And I gave that a go for a while. And then I had a really bad, two really bad bike accidents. I fell off in Canberra, broke my collarbone. And then another one, I clipped the back of someone's wheel and my feet were still clipped into the bike. And I just skidded sideways down the road. I don't know, too fast for me. And I just thought, okay, that's my triathlon career done. Dangerous. Dangerous. But, but I have to say I made the qualifying time for the 10,000 metres for the 94 Commonwealth Games. I said 99 hours started. No, I started in two, after the, the Olympics. I had a go at triathlons and then I made the Commonwealth Games off cross-training, so probably more duathlons than anything. I did not step on the track at all in that training and I um, qualified for the Victoria Commonwealth Games in Canada. Wow, uh, just off of like your triathlon training. Yeah, so so bike, more wind trainer, but um, I was swimming, riding, going in duathlons, you know, run, swim, and, and, and obviously, you know, running sessions, but not on the track and got really strong and really fit and I think that I can't remember what the qualifying time was but I think I ran 32.17 um, Athletics Australia said if I funded myself to go to Canada uh, to a race and I qualified well they'd reimburse me and I did and yeah picked me for those Commonwealth Games. Wow. So I guess road running is probably the thing I love you know um more I feel like a bit freer and you know you're not on show as much and yeah really like the challenge of road road courses should we talk about the uh the recent world record I think so 
That's what we're <laughs> waiting for. Uh, we were me and Steve were talking before you um jumped on on the Zoom, and I was saying like, there's like just I've got an A4 page in front of me of like of achievements, but like arguably one of the most impressive ones is like something you've just done recently. You um you broke the fifty five to fifty nine age world record at the London Marathon, run two forty eight oh six, like that's incredible. Uh, like that would be incredible for a, a like a young guy to run that pace, you know. <laughs> like how, how was your how did you get back into running at su- like running such fast times? Helping others, to be honest. A couple of people asked me, would I help them do, um, would I help them get a PB for a park run? I, yeah, I've had, I've had periods of time where I've lost my mojo and I have some amazing friends in um, the Brisbane running community, a lot from Brisbane Road Runners who, you know, asked, you know, did I want to go in some virtual run competition during COVID and, you know, help them to improve their running. And I I got my love of it back again. And it it just was one of those things. I, I have to share with you, my husband said, why didn't you run six seconds quicker like and get under 248? Because it was 248.06. He's a non-runner. And he just said, oh, you could have just like gone six seconds quicker. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, so I think now for me that run was about running for all the right reasons. That That is honestly the truth. I honestly, I love it. It's been taken away or I feel like taken away from me when it's not my choice many, many times. And I just had the opportunity uh, through old friends of mine who own uh, run fit travel that there was a spot for the London Marathon a year out they said Krishna would you be interested said okay that sounds like a, a great idea and I contacted Steve Monagetti I said you up for a challenge and he said sure am and so um, had had him uh, as a guide um, yeah and a mentor and I just wanted to to prove to myself that it doesn't matter how old you are, a lot of people stop running because they're never going to do a PB again or they get disheartened because, you know, they don't run like they used to. I want to try and set a new goal. And I must admit I did have the world record time on my office at the time, which was 2 hours 50, and I thought, I had it sitting there, but I thought that was crazy. And, yeah, I just had a really good block of uninjured, uninterrupted training up until the London Marathon and had my day. And, you know, the guys that I run with, you know, still to this day go, you can't even run that in training per kilometre. How did you do that? And I do think that one of the things with my running is that I always race better than I trained. So I didn't ever leave my, I guess, my running on the training track. I waited and you had it in the race, you know, used it in the race. So I, I rarely was ever overtrained. 
I probably remember one occasion. And that was because there was that $10,000 prize money and a car and I overtrained. Um, but yeah, it was honestly, it was an amazing, just everything came together. And once again, the goal was to get to the starting line uninjured and well. And I must admit the start of it is downhill. And all I wanted it, the day to be not raining and freezing cold because I ran the Boston Marathon in 2018 and got hypothermia. So it is the honest truth that I have post-traumatic Boston disorder and just run in far too many clothes. So it wasn't raining. The weather was perfect. Um, went with this great group of people. Didn't even, They didn't even know what I'd done in my with this travel group, what I'd done in my past, and no expectations. Um, but I did tell my son before I left um, that uh, he had an unfortunate uh, football accident two years previously where he suffered a severe um, brain um, concussion and brain injury. So um, that was really really tough and still is to this day on him. So I said to him, you know what, if I end up breaking a world record, it's going to be for you. And so every time in the race, I honestly now think of all those people that have been through far worse things than I've ever been through. So when it got really hard, I just thought of him. I thought of Karen who's gone through, who went through breast cancer and many friends of mine um, and I won't mention they, their names, but if they listen to this, they'll know who I'm talking about, who've been through really tough times and things and running a marathon is for a certain period of time. So I find myself able to really dig deep. And mm. I honestly got to 10K and I went, oh, okay. I think it was like 30, 38 minutes or something. I went, oh, okay. And then I got to halfway and I was determined I am really old school. Most of the time I forget to charge my watch or, you know, forget to start it or stop it. So I was determined not to keep looking at my watch, not to set expectations. And I really encourage people listening to, you know, to every now and again have a race where you run without your watch and you're not um, tied to what it's telling you. And sometimes you really surprise yourself. Um, and that's what I did. You know, I went through halfway at nearly a world record for my age group. And so I did think, oh, well, I'm either going to have a big blow up or I'm going to get really gutsy and tough this one out and I've got a bit of a buffer to still get that record. So it was always in the back of my mind, but I was going to be happy to be out there running no matter what. What time did you go through halfway in? It was one twenty something yeah it was about 80 yeah 80 81 minutes but it it is downhill that start and the issue is or I found that people were passing me because there's so many waves you you really find it difficult to find your rhythm so I thought I was running a lot slower than what I was but I did feel really good except I not going to mention the shoes I ran in, but they, the balls of my feet were burning in the shoes. And um, that's what I was just trying to focus on, you know, wiggling my feet and trying to 
you know, not think about that. But the, in a mass marathon like that, it's just you just get carried away with the crowds were fantastic and people were passing me and I was trying to keep up with girls who were half my age and things like that. So I did try to, you know, soak in everything um, that I could. And, yeah, when I um, crossed, actually, my poor husband went to numerous spots. I didn't see him at all. He has a head like both of you, very smooth and shiny. Perfect, perfect. So, yeah, and very tall. So I thought I would see him, but I didn't. But uh, coming, um, you know, with a, not a kilometre to go, um, one of my son's good friends was working and living in London and came out to watch and he's got a very loud voice and he just called out to me, you know, go, Krish. And so I did pick up the pace, that last bit, and to see the clock at 2.48, um, did try and make those six seconds, but but the legs wouldn't go any faster. I finished as fast as I could and, yeah, just I did get emotional at the end and a lady said, come on, dear, are you okay? And I, I actually, my hip locked up. I couldn't even really walk. And um, I said, yeah. I said, she goes, what's wrong? I said, oh, nothing. It's it's okay. It was just, this has just been a lot. Yeah. yeah. Wow. You, didn't, so, you didn't tell her. I would have been like, I just broke the world record. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do have a video of um, Dave Cundy who owns um, tra Run Fit Travel and he um, was right on the sideline and he called out over, you know, as he was videoing at world records. So, um, yeah, watch that afterwards. But So no one in the travel group like said, oh, like have you ever run a marathon before? Like no one even, like that would have been like pretty wicked to have that up your sleeve. Yeah, I've done a few marathons. One of the Commonwealth Games, you know, like. Well, actually, I know we're probably getting, talking, a, a, you know, taking a long time, but the funniest story about that trip was that there were people from, you know, a, a, a farmer, cattle farmer from Perth, people from Melbourne, uh, like people from all different, you know, walks of life and who'd all decided that they, you know, were, um, wanting to run the London Marathon and some of them were trying to do, you know, the ma six majors and obviously have lots of, you know, had the finances to do that. But there were a couple who had an idea. But one of the funniest stories is that we booked to go to the Shard Hotel, which is the tallest um, building in London, and at the top, is a bar but you have to book to go to have a drink there and so my husband booked months out for us to go on the Friday before the race and um, I'd been training a lot with uh, one uh, yeah a particular guy and um, him and his wife came with us and the the next morning at breakfast the the group said oh we didn't see you last night where did you go for dinner what did you do and I said oh we went to the Shard hotel and we had a drink in the bar at the top and they said you had alcohol I said oh yes and they go we've been on no sugar diets no alcohol for a year you know healthy regimes and you had alcohol I said yeah I had one drink I didn't have the bottle yeah. you know and they said oh okay anyway that was the Friday before and after the race uh, we had champagne in the downstairs, you know, bar at the hotel, and they all said 
that they're going to follow my regime now and that it's okay <laughs> to have a glass of wine now and then, even before a race, because it obviously helped me. <laughs> Maybe it just relaxed you a little bit more. I slept well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I didn't drink in my youth, so, you know, now I think it's, I just said, look, it's a bit of extra sugar and a bit of carbs, so surely it's okay. Yeah, that's amazing. So I guess, you know, one of the things that that was, it seems a long time ago now, 2002, uh, 22 in October, but, you know, just recently, you know, the months are going by. But, yeah, I did uh, reflect the October just gone and think, wow, 12 months ago, I can't believe that was me that did that because, um, you know, like I guess all of us, there's times where, you know, you get injured and, you um, I I was, you know, trying to keep on um, at a certain level, but sometimes the body says it needs a rest. And I'm told that my age is causing uh, Achilles tendonitis to take longer to recover than than normal. So I'm currently um, just, I've had nearly six months of trying to navigate this injury, but have entered the Gold Coast half to run with my niece who is keen to get into running and have actually set myself a target and entered the Valencia Marathon in December. So surely I can be back running by then. Um, you said before you like got into trying to help people at Parkrun get some sort of time thereafter and, and et cetera. Have you ever thought after you, you do finish competitive running that's something that you'd like to do, get into a bit of coaching? Um, I think... That it's after following my own career, I go, it's so disheartening. But, no, I really would like to give back and I I try to give back as much as I can now. And it's actually very rarely do people ask my advice or or follow it. But um, I've got a couple of really, you know, close friends through running that, you know, I, I help um, try and be a mentor to. And, and I mostly, one of the things I love most is seeing young people who, you know, love running. And I'm really um, cautious with the fact that so many young athletes get burnt out or they, they show, you know, talent very young, but we never see them as an older, you know, runner. And, you know, I, I actually, um, Pat Tin, and I think you had him on your podcast so I remember Pat Clohesse talking to me about Pat Tin and when he was at school in Ipswich and so it's so fantastic to see young you know people with so much talent actually come you know through and produce or show the talent that they've they've actually got and not either quit get burnt out or not enjoy it anymore so I think I would really like to get more into you know helping or talking to young people or guiding young people into you know making sure that they don't overtrain too young and yeah but yeah more, uh, of, it's more of a mentoring role yeah so. more a mentoring role and you know happy to um you know share I've made lots of mistakes and I've you know learned from you know the lessons the hard way and I think that you know to maybe help someone else from you know suffering the same 
consequences of, you know, training when something hurts, when if you stopped and had a week off and got some treatment, it, it might be okay, you know, that sort of thing. And I think I also want to give hope to to older runners and, and I know there's people that have stopped training because they never, I mentioned before, are never going to get a PB or think that, you know, they can't achieve new goals. I think it's just about setting um, new new realistic goals no matter what age or stage you are because, you know, often we're all working full-time trying to juggle families and, and different things that, you know, realistic um, goals that can really help people get enjoyment out of their running because they achieve them. That's such a good point because I find like that for me, I just am trying to just be as fit and as healthy as I can and sort of just setting little goals helps keep me motivated. But like, I think getting the right balance of not, you know, being too disappointed if you don't get the time and, and all the rest of it. And it's just really about trying to be the best version of yourself every year, I think. Yeah, and honestly, if people say to me, oh, why are you still running? And that that you just answered what I, you know, what I would say. It makes me the best version of me. But if you keep um, not being content with where you're at or what you're doing, then it doesn't become enjoyable. And I, I really like um, helping and seeing other people you know, achieve their goals. And and even, you know, this time around, because probably because of the world record, people have said, oh, oh, you must be hard to live with or, you know, you're injured and this is taking a long time. And, you know, I've turned that around to, you know, say to myself that I'm really grateful. I've actually had a really good run. I'm 57 years old. I didn't ever think that I would be able to keep going this long, stay in one piece and achieve what I have so naturally when you're pushing your body all the time this these sorts of things are going to happen so rather than being resentful which I'm trying to be grateful and you know learn that rather than I I guess wallowing in it I'm trying to go okay I need to do yoga and pilates and I actually need to follow what my physio is saying and and do all these strength exercises and it's actually why I entered Valencia because I thought I'm I'm so goal orientated that it will make me do the little things that I need to do to be able to keep running. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. got a bit off track there, but no, it, it's just about that makes sense. Yeah, you know, and running is you know a privilege, and so I think if people are you know grateful for the fact of, I, I just don't know of any other exercise. Sorry about the. Thai, what is it? Thai that you do? Oh, the kickboxing stuff. Yeah, yeah. the kickboxing. (laughs) I just think running the endorphins, the highs that you get from that type of exercise is just second to none. And I know everyone can't run, but everyone can have a go and get something out of it. And and that's why I mentioned park run because I'm at the college where um, I'm the principal of now we're just about to have all the students come back next week and we're starting a run club and once a month we're all going to go you know young people who are either want to walk jog or run um we're going to go to different park runs and i think it's it's so good for everyone's mental health mm. so cool just say for the listeners like to put it this way 
we had Jess Willis on. I think she's run two fifty for the marathon. Like she's forty eight. Has she run two forty eight? Yeah, in those oh. Hocker Rocket X twos that she. Was the yeah, last well, and she year. got an elite start at the Melbourne Marathon with that time. So, at 57 years old, you could literally get yourself on the elite running list for the Melbourne Marathon next year. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, um, Valencia is in December. So, if all goes to plan, I've entered the half because everything was filling up so quickly. So, um, that would probably work well to run the half in Melbourne and then hopefully Valencia and have a holiday as well. Have you ever done a fast park run anywhere and just blown the, the course record away or anything? Uh, for the old ladies, I think I've got that really quite high percentage and I did Sandgate. It's 17 something. This is what everyone laughs about as well. I'm not sure what time, but it was under 18 minutes. So that was a couple of years ago. Yeah. So and and that's Kedron, still, I think I've run fast. Still super fast. It's fast. <laughs> but um, that I think that's the goal. Um, you know, as I make this comeback from this injury, I am going to get over. Um, is that I'll I'll try and just do some shorter races and um, you know, get really fit and strong and do all those gym exercises that most runners don't like to do yeah actually my whole training group that i started with here in brisbane in 2016 we're all going to peak sports and spine center for physiotherapy and they're all having to do strength exercises now to be able to keep on running so i'm giving peak sports and spine center a plug because if it wasn't for blaine there i wouldn't still be running so awesome yeah, thinking with your Achilles problem, the gym lifting weights on your calves would probably help with that, surely. Yeah, that's yeah, they're the yeah. Can't you tell? <laughs> I sort of don't look like it, but I have been yeah, um, doing you know calf raises and holds with you know pushing into weights that I couldn't actually lift and that sort of thing. Yeah, lots of calf holds and things like that. But with that tendonitis, it's you know, the only thing that really works yeah. is strengthening it and not resting it. So, yeah, cool. it's a journey. Oh, we should wrap it up there. That was all, that's been an awesome podcast. So good. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's, yeah. it's been good to have a chat. Sorry if, if it's gone too long. No, no, it's, no been, it's fine. been fascinating. Been just as good as a listener as um, trying to, work out what to ask you because you answer a lot of questions in in one go it might just steve said he had an a4 page of questions there to ask but i think we didn't get through too many we we couple a lot of them up there's just so many just a list of achievements there's just race after race after race after race super quick pbs and even like we didn't i mean we could probably quickly talk about it but the leeton shire walk of fame you're in that so you've got a plaque on that Oh, yeah, yeah that, my mum and dad were very proud of that. They still live in Leeton, so that was really, really special. So, um, And, you know, um, that Riverina area has some amazing sports people come out of it, um, cricketers and footballers and things like that. So that was really good. Mum and dad are 
still lived there. My son came, um, Zach's 27 now, and my niece, it was, yeah, it was really good. So that'll be there forever. So, yeah, yeah sometimes I forget, um, you know, that, you know, some of the things, yeah, I, I can't fathom it was me actually sometimes when I run now. But, um, yeah, it's been a journey and I sometimes you know, friends have said you should write a book and I go, no one would believe it, you know, with the ups and downs because there's definitely been, you know, more downs than ups. But, yeah, running has definitely, you know, brought a lot to my life and I think it's made me the person I am. And and even in this, like, new role here, this place was, um, you know, not Raymond was not necessarily at its best and, I feel like I'm always open to a challenge and I think that's come from my running and I'm not, you know, I don't quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm just, you know, that endurance of running comes across in other areas of my life I've found. So. So cool. And believe it or not, I used to be really shy and hardly said a word. (laughs) The running's brought it all out of you. (laughs) Uh, anyway, it was really. I hope to see you around, guys. At, yeah, yeah. At a run, I I work with um, oh, James Weeks. So he, do you know James? He's yeah. I follow James. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think yeah, I so follow I really, him on Strava. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's around Boondle area somewhere. He does all his running. Yeah. So James is the deputy um, at Raymond, and uh, when I first applied for the job, and we met. Um, and talked running. I thought, oh, we're going to get on really well here. So, but he's running his first Gold Coast, uh, his first marathon on the Gold Coast. So, um, I said I'm going to be onto him and checking the program and offering advice, even if he doesn't want it. <laughs> awesome, good stuff. <laughs> Professional yeah. advice. He'd be yeah. mad not to take it. <laughs> okay. Well, what's next for you guys in your running or sporting? Oh, okay. I'm doing the GC30 um, as a lead up to my first proper marathon at the Gold Coast. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to use that as a bit of a trial for pace. I know it's a bit of a cross country, but I enjoyed it last year. Okay. Um, I did that as a bit of a training run for Guzzler Ultra last year, the 50K. Yeah. So I swapped that over after doing that for two years. I'm, I'm going to give the marathon a good go. Well done, you. Yeah. Well, and what about? That. Yeah, I've got the Gold Coast Marathon booked in. Um, I run on the track a little bit still. Okay, good. Like I, I'm, I find it so hard to run quick, but it'd be nice to run under 10 minutes for the 3K. There's a 3K on the track in March that I'd like to do. Um, yeah, Noosa, I'm unsure. I'll definitely run at Noosa, but I don't know whether I'll do the half or might try and get like a pacing gig or something for the full, but... Okay. Yeah, apart from that, nothing really. Like, I'm just so sick of running in the heat at the moment. It's been killing me. Actually, to be honest, I, I've, I've thought if I, if there's a time to be injured, it's now. Yeah, it sucks. It's yeah. Come home drenched. Yeah. Every yeah. day. Yeah. Do you, I, I'm not sure, but I don't remember in my time in Brisbane it being this bad for this long, this time of year. Yeah, I was talking to my parents about it, saying, like, I don't know, is it? do you feel like it might be getting hotter? And my parents reckon it is. Yeah. Just, yeah. Every year I just go, oh, God, this is just 
Horrible. Yeah. I've just finished a stint of about 31 years of night shift. I've never done day shift. So I work indoors with an oven going at a bakery. And I reckon I'm so glad the last three or four weeks that I haven't been working because, yeah. Um, yeah, I sort of sort of follow the weather patterns and I just think I can't remember it being that humid outside at night, whether let alone inside with the extra heat. So I'm just glad I'm not working at the moment. But, yeah, it's hard. It's shocking. Okay, guys. Well, I'm so sorry that I, like, talked for so long and was <laughs> late. I really I hope it wasn't too boring. I always are over. Great. I worry that, yeah, it's boring, but. No, no way. It was unreal. It was very good. Okay, well, I look I look forward to being able to run out on the road and see you at Noosa somewhere. Yeah, I'll, for sure. I'll be out there cheering on James and lots of other people. So Awesome. I'll keep in touch. I don't do Strava. Ah, that's all right. Yeah, I can't even manage my watch, so that's <laughs> Okay, thanks. That was
stop rewind Now what the fuck did you find? Ain't nothing in here but why Supplemental I can't breathe I can't breathe Close your eyes Leave all your troubles behind Yes, it's fine Troubles behind, yes, it's fine. Come kick it with me in my imagination. I'm contemplating, hesitating on exploitation. My mind, 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 mind.